chapter 25. I think this is going to be our last study here in the book of Leviticus. Um, we've kind of done a little bit of a piece-by-piece piece chapter of it. We covered the first five sacrifices. Last week we did Day of Atonement. And this tonight we're doing uh, the Sabbath year's rest, and we're also doing the year of Jubilee. Now, of the lessons we've done in Leviticus, I will be honest, this one so far has been my favorite. Now, generally what happens is when it's my favorite, people walk away going, eh, I didn't get anything out of it. I like this one. I got a lot out of this one. I hope you get a lot out of this too. A lot of information here, and I think it's an absolutely wonderful concept. And this is one of those lessons where there's a lot of times when we look back at the Old Testament, I will be honest, I'm not very jealous of them because I don't want to skin an animal every time I sin. Um, I don't want to have that non-contact with God. I love Hebrews 4.16. I want to boldly go to the throne of grace. I love the fact the Holy Spirit lives inside of me, and I love the fact that Jesus died on the cross for my sins. I love it. I'm a New Testament grace guy. But Leviticus 25, I, I don't mind Leviticus 25. So let's talk about it. Leviticus 25, verse 1. And the Lord spoke to Moses on Mount Sinai, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, and say to them, When you come into the land which I give to you, then the land shall keep a Sabbath to the Lord. Six years you shall sow your field, and six years you shall prune your vineyard and gather its fruit. But in the seventh year there shall be a Sabbath of solemn rest for the land, a Sabbath to the Lord, for you, know, excuse me, you shall neither sow your field nor prune your vineyard. Where it grows of its own accord, of your harvest you shall not reap, nor gather the grapes of your unintended vine, for it is a year of rest for the land. And the Sabbath produce of the land shall be food for you, for your male and female servants, your hired men, and the stranger who dwells with you, for your livestock and the beasts in your land, all its produce shall be for food. Now, if you haven't been with us for the Leviticus study, what we're going to do is talk about what it just means, just the facts, and we're going to come back and say how it applies to us spiritually. So what happened is, you would work the ground for six years, and every seventh year, you took the year off. Now, how is that not a good deal? You would take a whole year off. And as you take that year off, you don't harvest, verse 5, what you eat is the, is the food that is naturally produced off the land, and that can be then for anybody. So you would work the land for six years, take a year off. Now, this is not a totally unheard concept. We do crop rotation. We live in a farming community. I grew up as a kid, and sometimes we even had that time still something called idle acres. Where you let the land sit. That is a, a farming concept. And 4,000 years ago, God had already figured that out. But the point is, does that not sound wonderful? Work six years, then take a full year off. That's a wonderful concept. Wonderful concept. Let's build on it, because it gets even better. Go to Deuteronomy 15. Deuteronomy 15. I highly encourage you, if you want a little more in-depth study, get into these books of Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy. They are a tough book, I will admit that, but there's these nuggets in the middle of it that are just an amazing picture of what God does. So we're going to explain what this means spiritually. So the first point is, every seventh year, you get to take the year off. The food, you just eat naturally. You don't prune it. You don't harvest it. Whatever it just grows, you get to eat. Well, Deuteronomy 15 goes one step further. Look at verse 1. At the end of every seven years, you shall grant a release of debts. And this is the form of the release. Every creditor who has lent anything to his neighbor shall release it. He shall not require it of his neighbor or his brother because it's called the Lord's release. So the longest you could have debt for was six years, really. Six, seven years, because every seven years your debt is, is canceled. Is that an amazing concept itself, too? So every you get to take a year off, plus all your debt gets to be taken care of. Now, that's only for the Jews, because verse 3, the foreigners still have to pay. But it's an amazing concept here that you get a year off and all your debts 
are taken care of. Why does God do that? Because he realizes the power that is in money. Verse 6, For the Lord your God will bless you just as he promised you. You shall not lend, excuse me, you shall lend to many nations, but you shall not borrow. You shall reign over many nations, but they shall not reign over you. God is saying, I'm trying to do this as an example to you to not let yourself get taken up with money. Because therefore, once you get taken up with money, you have that power. Excuse me, they have that power. You know, my wife and I built a house a few years ago, and we're very blessed, and we absolutely love it. But every time I talk about my house... I stop and think for a second. It's not my house. <laughs> it's not going to be my house for about another 17, 18 years. But what a blessing it is. And there's this idea of debt. Somebody gets a new car. Do you like my new car? I like the bank's car that you're making a payment for every month. We have in this debt society that we live in. Every seventh year, debt is released. Why? Because God had a heart for the poor. Verse 7, If there is among you a poor man of your brethren with any of the gates in your land which the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not harden your heart nor shut your hand from your poor brother, but you shall open your hand wide to him and willingly lend him sufficient for his need whatever he needs. Guys, those are good verses. Jesus reiterated this in the New Testament. He says, Give to everyone who asks of you. That's a tough verse. Because so often when we give to people, they have to meet a certain criteria for us to help. God says, Give it to them. And that's a tough concept. It really is. Now, before you take that the wrong way, is there wisdom? Yes, there's wisdom in knowing things. There's wisdom in realizing, I'm not going to give you that thing because I know what you're going to use that for. There's wisdom in that. And the Bible says, be as wise as serpents, uh, but as peaceful as doves. But generally speaking, when somebody comes and asks, God says, bless them. Be a witness with it. It's a wonderful thing. Verse 9, Beware there lest to be a wicked thought in your heart, saying, Well, the seventh year, the year of release, is at hand, and your eye be evil against your poor brother, and you give him nothing, and he cry out to the Lord against you and become sin among you. You know why? Because there was some savvy person in the Old Testament that says, Hey, this person's coming up and wants to borrow 500 shekels. Okay, I'll lend it to you. Oh, wait a second. Next year is the seventh year. It's the year of debt release. So I give this guy 500 pieces of whatever. Next year, he doesn't owe me anything. So the guy says, I'm not going to loan it to him. God says, no, do not let, verse 9, that wicked thought come in your heart. Look how God describes that. That is a wicked thought. We would describe that thought today not as wickedness, but as business savvy. God says, that's a wicked thought. Verse 10, you shall surely give it to him, and your heart should not be grieved when you give it to him. Now right there, isn't that a New Testament concept too? God loves a cheerful giver? Let's just be honest. How many of you have given of your time, your energy, your resources, or finances, and you put a smile on your face, but in your heart it's really not happy? God knows your heart. He says, make sure your heart is not grieved. Because for this thing, the Lord your God will bless you in all your works into which all you put your hand. For the poor will never cease from the land. I don't like to get into the political thought, but there are certain segments of the political process that truly thinks that we can eradicate certain things. And one of them is this idea of being poor. God says numerous times throughout the Bible that ain't going to happen. Because part of the reason why is we are human beings with human sin natures and we really make poor financial decisions sometimes. And sometimes it's also things beyond our control. Job situations, economy, etc. We can't control that. Verse 11, God says the poor are never going to cease from the land. So therefore, verses 9 and 10, he goes, I want you to have the heart for the poor. And he goes, don't let the wicked thought, verse 9, come in and saying, I can't loan you anything because the year of release is coming, and as soon as I give it to you, I'm going to get nothing back. Verse 10, I'm going to give it to you, but God says, I want to make sure, verse 10, your heart, your heart. Too often in Christianity, we just do it, we go through the motions, we jump through the hoops, and God says, I care about your heart. 
Is your heart in the right spot? Is your heart doing this for the right motives and the right reasons? Because God says, that's all I care about is your heart. Remember when David sinned against uh, the Lord with committing adultery in Bathsheba in Psalm 51, David came out and said, sacrifice and offering you do not require. He goes, you, you want my heart, God. You don't want the blood of bulls and goats and whatever. You want my heart to be pure in you. And this is the same thing, verses 9 and 10. God says, I want you to loan that to that person, not because I'm telling you to do it, because I, he goes, I want you to make sure your heart's in the right spot. As you've heard many times, there's a saying, and I don't know who first said it, it's not that God wants your money, he just doesn't want you to want it. That's what it kind of comes down to. So we go one step further, though. Every seventh year, verses 12 through 18, if your brother, a Hebrew man or Hebrew woman, is sold to you and serves you six years, then the seventh year shall let him go free from you. So at the seventh year, you get to take a break from work for a year, all your debts are taken care of, and if you were in any type of slavery, you get to be set free. And not just get set free. Verses 13, you should not lend a, let him go away empty-handed. You shall supply him liberally from your flock, from your threshing floor, and from your wine press. For the Lord has blessed you, with, you shall give it to him. So you get set free, and then you get everything. The, the person that you are serving is supposed to bless you liberally. Verse 14, why? Because verse 15, you used to be a slave in Egypt, he says. He goes, I want you to remember that. So every seventh year, the land takes a break for a year. Debts are canceled. And if you're any type of serving or uh, slavery, you're set free. And not only set free, you get to get blessed as you leave. So that's the seventh year rest. That's not the year of Jubilee yet. We're going to get to that one next. But that's what happened every seven years back in the Old Testament. It's a wonderful concept, and it's a really neat thing there. Does anybody have any quick questions, comments about just the facts of that before we get into what the uh, year of Jubilee is? Alrighty. Let's go to the year of Jubilee. Now jump back to uh, Leviticus chapter 25. We're going to do year of Jubilee, and then we'll talk about what it means. Leviticus 25, uh, verse 8. It says, You should count seven Sabbaths of years for yourself, seven times seven years, and the time of the seventh Sabbaths of years shall be you 49 years, which is just a Tough way of saying, yes, every 50 years here. Verse 9, Then you shall cause the trumpet of the Jubilee to sound on the tenth day of the seventh month, on the day of atonement. You shall make the trumpet to sound throughout all the land, and you shall consecrate the fiftieth year, and proclaim liberty throughout all the land and all its inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee for you. And each of you shall return to his possessions, and each of you shall return to his family. The fiftieth year shall be a jubilee to you. In it you shall neither sow nor reap, but grows of its own accord, nor, their, nor gather the grapes of your untended vine. For it's the jubilee, it shall be holy to you. You shall eat its produce from the field. In the year of jubilee, each of you shall return to his possession. If you sell anything to your neighbor or buy anything from your neighbor's hand, you shall not oppress it one another. According to the number of years after the jubilee, you shall buy it from your neighbor. And according to the number of years of crops, he shall sell it to you. According to the multitude of years, you shall increase its price. And according to the fewer number of years, you shall diminish its price. For he sells you according to the number of years of the crops. Now, I like this one too. Every 50 years, you get your land back. Every 50 years, it's almost like reset, start from scratch. You're from the tribe of fill-in-the-blank, Judah. And so therefore... 30 years ago, your grandfather sold off your area of land that you received as a possession as you came into the promised land. Every 50 years, you get that back. You get to go back to that land and say, hey, it's the year of Jubilee. My grandfather sold us whatever. Now comes back to my possession of my family. And this would happen every 50 years. It's kind of a fascinating concept, isn't it? It's called the year of Jubilee. Now, once again, business savvy sense, verses 15 and 16, you had a sliding scale of price. Let's say the year of Jubilee is coming up in two years. 
So I'm going to go buy a piece of property from you. And you say, I'm going to sell it to you for X amount. And I'm thinking, okay, I buy this. I only get this property for two years. Because after two years, I've got to give it back to the person. And so therefore, you don't charge full price. Now let's say the year of Jubilee just happened last year. And so therefore, now I can buy this property. I'm thinking, hey, I'm going to get this land for 49 years. So therefore, I will pray, pay a higher price for it. So there's a sliding scale here. You know, God, once again, he's kind of got this thing figured out. So every 50 years, the land gets kind of reset, a sliding scale. The neat thing about this, though, is the provisions. Check out verse 18. So you shall observe my statutes and keep my judgments and perform them, and you will dwell in the land safely. Then the land will yield its fruit, and you will eat your fill and dwell there in safety. And if you say, well, what shall we eat in the seventh year, since we shall not neither sow nor gather in our produce? Then I will command my blessing on you in the sixth year, and it will bring forth produce enough for three years. And you shall sow in the eighth year and eat old produce into the ninth year, until its produce comes, and you shall eat of the old harvest. What he's saying here, there was an opportunity at one time where you would have back-to-backs. You would have the Sabbath year rest in the 49th year, followed by the year of Jubilee in the 50th year. So now you're starting to think, okay, wait a second here. So I plant one year, I take the Sabbath year's rest, nothing. I take the next year, your Jubilee, nothing. I finally start planting in that third year, I have to wait another year for crops. God says, don't worry about it, verses 18 through 22, i got to cover goes, I'll cover you for three years. Isn't that fascinating? I'll cover you for three years. So imagine now, the year of Jubilee is coming up. The 49th year, your debts are taken care of. If you're a slave, you're set free. You don't have to work the land the 49th year. The next year is the year of Jubilee, so therefore you get your land back, and you don't have to work that year either. Now, is that not a good concept? You get two years off in a row. God will take care of the food for you. You get your land back. Your debts are canceled, and you're not going to be in slavery. How is that not a good thing? I think it's an absolutely wonderful, wonderful concept. This is one of those few Old Testament things where I say, Lord, let me sign up for this. One little clause, though. Go to Leviticus 26, and we're almost ready to start what the symbolism means. You've been patient with all these stuff, but let's see what it means. Leviticus 26. Go ahead here and look in Leviticus 26. I've got a couple of verses that I want to show you. Look at um, verse 32. It says, I will bring the land to desolation. Your enemies who dwell in it shall be astonished. I will scatter you among the nations and draw out a sword after you. Your land shall be left desolate and your cities waste. Then the land shall enjoy its Sabbaths as long as it lies desolate and you are in your enemy's land. And the land shall rest and enjoy its Sabbaths. And as long as it lies desolate, it shall rest. For the time it did not rest on your Sabbaths when you dwell in it. See, what God said here is, if you don't take these Sabbath rest, he goes, I'm going I'm to get them back. This is a big deal to me, he says. This is a real big deal to me. So what happened is, a little bit of history here, and I'll let you look at these verses on your own. Jeremiah 25, 11 through 12. Jeremiah 25, 11 through 12. And 2 Chronicles 36, 20 and 21. 2 Chronicles 36, 20 and 21. What we can piece together is, for 490 years, the Jews didn't do this. They didn't take a Sabbath year rest. So God says, fine, 490 years, you owe me. 490 divided by 7 is 70. He goes, you owe me 70 years. And so therefore what happens is the Babylonians came in, took over the Jews, defeated them, and the Jews went into captivity for 70 years. God says, you owe me this. You owe me. He goes, the Sabbath thing is a big deal to me, he says. And so the Jews didn't do this. Do you realize there's not one recorded time in the Old Testament of the Jews doing either a Sabbath year rest or a year jubilee? Not once is there a record time. As best as we can figure, the Jews never once did this. I just think that's crazy. That's getting to December and having three weeks of vacation time and saying, I'm not going to use it. 
Why wouldn't you do it? They didn't do it, and God says, you owe me this, you owe me 70 years, and he took it, and he went with it. So, that is the Sabbath year's rest. That's the year of Jubilee. Those are just the facts. Now we're going to talk about what it means and what it represents to us. Does anybody have any quick questions, comments on that? Yeah, John. Well, if you look according to the Sabbath year in verse 20, in chapter 25, verses 6 and 7, it says the food is for everybody in verses 6 through 7. Yeah, basically what we can piece together on the Sabbath year's rest is I could walk almost anybody's field and grab anything because God says it's my land this year, so it's open to anybody. So yeah, I could walk over and eat your grapes for two years. Come get, come get them. Tilly. Well, supposed to. I mean, there's a lot of things in the Old Testament that were supposed to. You were only supposed to marry a good Jewish girl. Um, there's a lot of things you were supposed to, but what happened is this whole system just fell apart. I mean, as far as we can tell, it never happened once. I mean, so yeah, in the system, it was supposed to be for the Jews, because he comes out in Leviticus 25 and says, a lot of this stuff doesn't apply to the foreigner. This is for the Jews. Which the idea is... From God's perspective, he goes, this is my land. He comes right out and says it in oh, verse 23 of chapter 25. The land should not be sold permanently, for the land is mine. He goes, this is mine. And also the subject would come up of, okay, guys, this is your promised land. You've waited centuries for this. Why would you not want it? I think God kind of, might, I don't want to speak for the Lord, but I think, don't you kind of think that God said, well, why wouldn't you want your inheritance? This is what you've waited hundreds of years for. Why do you want to make a buck off your property? So this was God's way of constantly kind of trying to remind him, this is mine, I can do this. You know, we tell the boys at home, if you're going to fight over toys, it's simple, that toy becomes my toy. You know, if you two can't get along with it, I'll play with it. So God says, you know, if this money thing and slavery thing and land thing is going to be an issue for you, just remember, every 50 years, whatever you have goes back to the original owner. Game reset. You know, it keeps it from, you know, getting out of hand a little bit. Anybody else have anything about the facts of this? All right, let's talk about the spiritual side of it. First point of this, pretty straightforward one, is God wants you to rest. That's a simple concept, isn't it? I mean, from the beginning, you work six days, you rest the seventh. God wants you to rest at least one day a week. He wants you to rest and that idea of being a Sabbath. Now, the problem is, anytime this subject comes up, there's always somebody that kind of gets bothered about this. So I'm just going to give you the scriptures. Mark 2.28, Mark 2.28 Luke 6, verse 5, Luke 6, verse 5, God says, Jesus said, I am Lord of the Sabbath. Every day is a Sabbath. Every day is a Sabbath. In fact, in Colossians 2.16, Colossians 2.16, Paul wrote, don't let anybody judge you about Sabbaths. And I understand there are some people that, that have this concept of, well, you don't work on Sunday. And I'm not saying this to pick on anybody. First off, the Sabbath is not Sunday. The Sabbath is technically sundown Friday to sundown Saturday. Number two, I work on Sundays. So don't get on me too much about that, okay? And aren't you glad people work on Sunday? Aren't you glad doctors and nurses work on Sunday? Aren't you glad your waitress at the restaurant and the checkout girl at Walmart all work on Sundays? So I understand what people are saying is, well, that's the day you're really not supposed to do stuff. I agree. I believe there should be a Sabbath every day. For me, my family, it's Friday. Friday is family day. That's our Sabbath. I, I, I shut my phone off, and I've told you this numerous before. I'm not hiding from anybody, but that's the day that I stop and say, okay, it's, it's, it's the family time, and we're going to focus on that. That's my Sabbath, my day to rest with the family. So God says that's important. But yet we live in this what I call Puritan, uh, good old German work ethic, where I'm going to work seven days a week. 
and you wonder why there's stress and problems, etc. God says rest. There's a great phrase I heard one time, work as if working for the Lord, and then rest as if resting for the Lord. Jesus himself told the disciples, get away, rest a little bit. There's the importance of taking a rest, and God says you should do that. Every one day a week, rest, he said. Every seven years, take a rest too. That's the importance of it. I heard a great teaching by Chuck Sundahl recently where he said he looks at vacations and things like that. He goes, he looks at that as like that Sabbath year. Get away for a week. Just rest in the Lord and enjoy his goodness. So there's that first point there about the actual Sabbath. Next point, this is a faith thing. I can't tell you why the Jews did not take a Sabbath year or Jubilee. I can't. I can only give you my opinion, so my opinion be leery here. I think it was a trust thing. Can you imagine going up into that seventh year and saying, okay, we're not going to work. We're just going to trust that there's always going to be food all year. That's a tough thing. You know, when God first gave the manna to the Jews, he told them, don't collect it for the Sabbath. He says, collect a double portion. problem is some people didn't collect a double portion, so they went out on the Sabbath, and what happened? There wasn't any. He also told people, don't keep it. Every day I'll give you a new. So what happened to the people that kept it? It came moldy and gross. See, there's always an element of us that says trust is hard. And it's, in, and it's all different types of things. Some of it's a financial thing. The idea of tithing, 10%, that's a trust issue. You trust that when you give that 10% to the Lord, he's going to take care of you. Another thing is trust issues just in life. Lord, I don't know what the future is going to hold tomorrow, so therefore I just trust you. I can't change these test results. I can't fix my marriage. I can't take care of my kids. I just got to trust you. Matthew 6:11 says, give us this day our daily bread. Very simple. Lord, I can't fix tomorrow, so I'm going to give you tomorrow, and I'm just going to trust that you're going to take care of it. Now, if, if the God of the universe could supply millions of people in Israel a year, and in the year of Jubilee, back-to-back years, don't you think he can meet your needs too? You know, it says in Ephesians 3, verse 20, that God is able to do exceedingly abundantly all that we say or think. Boy, he can meet our needs. He really can meet our needs. He can take those dark situations and fix them. He can take those tough situations and take care of it. He can supply the needs that are needed for you. And note, I keep using that word need, not once. He supplied their needs in that seventh year. He supplied their needs in the year of Jubilee. He took care of them. And my personal opinion, would you not look forward to it? I mean, would you not be talking that sixth year? Just think, hun, next year we don't have to do anything. I mean, would you not? And why do you think they blew the ram's horn for the year of Jubilee? Because it was supposed to be a celebration. You get another year. Like I said, it's tough to say why not would they do it, but yet it's a big faith issue. It's a big faith issue to say, Lord, I trust that you're going to meet our needs. Next one, the debts being canceled. I think this is a picture of us and our sin being canceled out. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death. The Bible makes it clear, you and I have a debt that we cannot pay, and that debt is a debt of sin, and so therefore the only way our sin could be paid was through Christ on the cross. If you were back during this time, can you imagine being overwhelmed in debt? And maybe some of you here today, you look at your bank account and you say, I have overwhelmed in debt. Wouldn't you love the fact that every seventh year it's all canceled? Wouldn't that just give you a blessing? Just thinking, wow, I just, it's so tough to pay the bills, but oh wait, next year is the Sabbath year's rest. Debt's canceled. It's a beautiful thing. And why is the debt canceled? Because God wanted to do it. Why are your sins taken care of? Because God wanted to do it. You didn't earn it. You didn't deserve it. I didn't earn it or deserve it. That's grace. The longer I walk with the Lord, the more I realize grace. What a beautiful thing. So your debt is canceled. Your sin is canceled. Going to the next one here. We're running short on time, so I'll just give you the reference. Romans 6, 16 through 18. 
Romans 6, 16 through 18, says that one time that you and I were slaves to sin. But we have been set free according to righteousness in Christ Jesus. So when the slaves are set free the seventh year, that's a picture of us being set free in Jesus Christ. I was a debtor that could not pay anything, that was a slave to sin, and then the seventh year came around, I'm set free. Well, same thing happened today. I'm a debtor and slave to sin, and I need to be set free, and Christ says, I've set you free. I've set you free. I've canceled the debts. What a beautiful picture it is. And here's one of my favorite ones. Ephesians 3.8. Ephesians 3.8 talks about the unsearchable riches of Christ. When I was a slave that was set free, just as in the seventh year, I get sent away with blessings. Christ says, I'll bless you, James. And what have I done to deserve it? Nothing. I'm just a sinner that had a debt of sin that could not be paid. I'm set free by Christ. And then he blesses me. The Holy Spirit lives inside of me. The Holy Spirit in, in gives us gifts. How is this not an amazing thing? So instead of having every seven years to look forward to it, we are living in the seventh year every day. That's why Jesus said, I'm Lord of the Sabbath. Every day my debt is released and sin through Christ. Every day I'm set free through sin. Excuse me, set free from sin. Every day I'm blessed as the slave that gets set free. These are just amazing, wonderful things. And you know, one of my favorite parts about this, though, too, is what happened with why did they were supposed to bless the slaves, I should say, is because God reminded them in Deuteronomy 15, he goes, at one time you were slaves in Egypt. He goes, don't forget that. That's why he says bless the slaves. See, this is one thing I see in the body of Christ, though. We've all been slaves that have been set free. But you know what, guys? Christians are some of the most judgmental people I've ever met. We have been set free from sin, but yet when we see another brother or sister struggling in something or not living up to their full expectations in Christ, we can be the most judgmental people on them. And God says, I want to remind you, 4,000 years ago, you were once a slave and now you've been set free. So therefore, bless the slaves as they're set free. I just want to remind everybody sitting here today, you've been saved by grace, and so that means everybody else can be saved by grace too. You don't have it all figured out. They don't have it all figured out. But yet as Christians, what do we have a tendency to do? I have it more figured out than you, so therefore I will be more judgmental towards you. God says, no, you're a slave, you're a slave, you've been set free. He goes, bless them, just bless them. What an amazing picture. Also, last thing they did on the end of the seventh year, and we're out of time here, so I'll just give you the references. Deuteronomy 31, Deuteronomy 31, 9 through 13. At the end of the seven years, the way it seems that it kind of um, ended is they would get everybody together. And as they get everybody together, I'm just going to read you the verse real quick because it is kind of important here. As they would get everybody together, God would kind of end this. He says, So Moses wrote this law and delivered to the priests, the sons of Levi, who bore the ark of the covenant of the Lord and to all the elders of Israel. Moses commanded them, saying, At the end of every seven years, so at the end of it, at the appointed time in the year of release at the Feast of Tabernacles, when all Israel comes to appear before the Lord your God in the place which he chooses, you shall read this law before all Israel in their hearing. Gather the people together, men and women and little ones, and the stranger who is within your gates. They may hear and they may learn to fear the Lord your God and carefully observe all the words of the law, that their children who have known it may hear and learn to fear the Lord your God as long as you live in the land which you cross the Jordan to possess. So the culminating event to this is Israel would come together and they would read the law to them to remind them of God's love for them, but also to remind them of why did you just get the year off? Why, did, why, why were your debts canceled? Why were you set free from, from slavery? Why did you not have to work a year? Now, they didn't understand maybe the symbolism, but they at least heard that it's because God said it's mine. Now, us, I, I'm reading the law to you right now to remind you, 
Jesus died on the cross for your sins. His grace and mercy has set you free. You've been immediately blessed by him. You have unsearchable riches in Jesus Christ. And on top of it, he goes, I want to give you rest. Now, is that not a good deal? I just wish we could have the best of both worlds. I wish we could have Jesus, but also still institute the year of Jubilee and the Sabbath year's rest. I want the best of both worlds. But it's a beautiful picture of Christ and your relationship with Christ. So as you see that Sabbath year's rest, as you see that year of Jubilee, it's really a picture of Christ and what he does for us and what a wonderful, wonderful picture it is. And I loved it. Absolutely loved that study. I just walked away with a God smile thinking, Lord, you love me. Man, you love me. I'm just a debtor that can't pay my debt, that's a slave to sin. And God says, I'll take care of it. That's just grace. Wonderful, beautiful thing. Does anybody have any final questions, comments about this before we go ahead and close up? So this ends our study here in Leviticus. We kind of hit the main points, if you will, in Leviticus. Where are we going to go next week? I don't know. We're going to pray about it and see. But I hope you were definitely blessed by the studies on sacrifices, the Day of Atonement, and also the Sabbath, your rest here, and also uh, year of Jubilee. What a beautiful picture it is. So let's go ahead and pray.